page 1003, and I'm going to read uh, about an encounter that Jesus had with a man. And we're just going to think about it for a few minutes together, and we're going to try and work out what it is about Jesus that is so wonderful that we heard this great song, this great name of Jesus. What is it about this name? That's what we're going to try and discover this afternoon. So I'd love you to look down at verse 40 where it says, Jesus heals a man with leprosy. Let me read you the story. A man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus was indignant. He reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. Immediately, the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go. Show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. Well, at face value, it's a nice story, isn't it? You know, a man who's ill, and pretty seriously ill with this skin disease, comes to Jesus, and Jesus heals him. Jesus makes him better. And we could all sit here this afternoon and go, isn't that lovely? What a nice man Jesus is. What a kind man he is. I used to sing a song at school, Jesus' hands are kind hands, doing good to all. What a lovely man Jesus was, doing nice things for people. But unless I've got an infectious skin disease, perhaps, you know, what's it got to do with me? Well, I'm going to show you this afternoon, there's something much, much bigger going on in this story. And you get a hint of it because of what the man asks Jesus to do. Did you notice this? If you were sick, really sick, and you came to Jesus, and you were asking him to help you, what would you ask him to do? Lord, if you're willing, you can make me better. You can make me well. You can make me whole. But but this man doesn't say that. This man says, look at it down with me, uh, the first sentence we read, verse 40, a man with leprosy came to Jesus and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Why that word? That word is the key to understanding what this story has got to do with us because that word clean is a status word. It's loaded with status. That's what lies behind it. Look, have you ever, have you ever suffered with status anxiety? It's a condition that um, a man wrote a book about. Alain de Botton is a, <laughs> believe it or not, is a famous philosopher. Fairly, semi-famous. Um, fairly famous. He's written a book. He's written a book called Status Anxiety. And his basic premise is that we are, as a culture ridden with this this disease of status anxiety where we are constantly fearful that others may be above us our status is our standing our place in the social order 
And we look around us and we can see others who seem to have a higher status. And our status is important because status gets you into places. It opens doors for you. Okay, what have these things got in common? Ripped jeans, an athletic singlet, untidy, no, unkempt and dirty clothes, cycling shorts, and an exposed midriff. You know what those things have got in common? Teenagers? (laughs) Not quite what I was thinking of. Those things will stop, any one of those things will stop you getting into one place in London. Harrods. All of those things will exclude you from Harrods. The door will be shut in your face if you are wearing an athletic singlet. So don't do that. Next time you go, don't do that. You see, what is the point? The point is that Harrods are trying to maintain a status. They're trying to keep out the riffraff. In fact, listen to it again. Their language is, we don't want any dirty and unkempt clothes. Status shuts the door. Status lets you in. It all depends on how high your status is. So status really matters to us. And so we have status anxiety. We will do stuff that boosts our status, that makes us look good. I I found a website to help out with a few things. They suggested things. I was a little bit unimpressed by how lacking in imagination they were. Literally, their, their tips for boosting your status were wear a tailored suit, uh, get, a, get a fancy watch, drive a nice car, I mean, come on, and hang out with people of high status. And if possible, marry one. That was their tips for boosting your status. You just find something up. this is ridiculous, but that's, that's our culture. We've got to boost our status. And all of us feel that, right? We all feel that. Well, here's a man, and if you said to him, what is your status? He'd have answered you with one word. He would have said, my status is unclean. Unclean. We're constantly having to put status up, right? Update your status, update your... I don't know what that means. Update my status since yesterday. I don't think my status has changed much. But we're supposed to be, keep doing that. Here's a man whose status is unclean. That's how he described himself. This man is not suffering with status anxiety. This man is suffering with status despair. He has no hope. He has no status. Now, if we're going to understand what's going on in this story, I need to show you just how little status this man has. He has leprosy, a skin disease, an infection. Now, you may say, well... Okay, that's a shame, but what's the big deal? This is a big deal. Keep a finger in your uh, in Mark chapter one, and unless you've got a red, you're going to struggle if you've got a red one. But if you haven't, then can you go to Leviticus chapter thirteen? Leviticus chapter thirteen, page one hundred and thirteen. Page 113, Leviticus chapter 13. What we're going to do is we're going to trace through this man's experience. So here he is in his house. We don't know much about him other than his name is Mike, apparently. (laughs) So Mike, uh, because we we have his phone, which is terrifically helpful. Uh, So so Mike um, has 
perhaps he's married, I don't know, perhaps he's got kids. He's living a, he's living a life, he's, he's an Israelite, he's living as one of God's people. And one day he wakes up and he notices something, perhaps on his arm, that he hasn't seen before. Just a little red spot. And he, uh, you know, oh, strange. But he ignores it. Okay, because that's what, that's, what, that's what we do, right? <laughs> but this red spot doesn't go away and it sort of grows a bit. So he pulls his uh, sleeve down. He just tries to cover it so no one will notice. But it just keeps spreading. And he suddenly realized this is something pretty serious. And then he goes, I'm sure there's a bit in the Bible which talks about this. I never really listened before to this chapter. It was never one of my favorite chapters in the Bible. But he finds Leviticus 13, and he says, and it's entitled, Regulations About Defiling Skin Diseases. Never has a passage in the Bible seemed so relevant to Mike. <laughs> this was written for me, with my defiling skin disease. Let's find out what I've got to do. Let's just follow it through. Let's see what he had to do. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron, this is verse 1, When anyone has a swelling or a rash or a shiny spot on their skin that may be a defiling skin disease, they must be brought to Aaron the priest or to one of his sons who is a priest. The priest is to examine the sore on the skin and if the hair in the sore has turned white and the sore appears to be more than skin deep, it is a defiling skin disease. When the priest examines the person, he shall pronounce them ceremonially unclean. So here's Mike. He goes, to the, uh, he goes to the priest, and the priest says, okay, let's have a look at it. And the priest examines it. And you can imagine he, like his heart beating. What, what, what was it going to be? What's he going to say? And he examines it, and then he looks him in the eye, and he makes his pronouncement. You are unclean. Now, I, I, don't, know, I don't know how to convey what a devastating thing that would be to hear. Flick to the end of chapter 13, and perhaps this will help you to feel it. The end of chapter 13, so not quite the end, verse 45. Once you've been told by the priest that you are unclean, look what happens, verse 45. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower part of their face and cry out, unclean, unclean. As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must live outside the camp. You have to understand what that word means for this man. That means he can't go home. He can't go back to his wife. He can't go back to his children. He can't pick them up again. He can't spend time with his friends. All the things that Lily was praying about, the things that we enjoy, the things that we... All of that's gone. There are no more holidays. There will be no more laughter. There will be no more joy. He has to make his way outside the camp to live alone. I, I, I don't know how... It's devastating. And he has to dress in a way which makes it clear that he's unclean. Do you notice how close the language here is to the language of Harrods? Isn't it striking? He's got to wear torn, dirty clothes. He's got to let his hair be unkempt. Because everybody has to know that he's unclean. Don't go near him. That has been this man's life. That has been his life. 
Can you imagine the tears he's cried? Can you imagine the pain? Can you imagine how desperate he must be? Everything. He's lost everything. And all that religion could do for him, you have to see this, all that religion could do was exclude him, was say, you are unclean. That was all the priest could say. The priest had no other word for him. The priest had no word of hope. The priest had no word of cleansing. The priest had nothing except you are unclean. That was all it had. Now at this point, we may be saying, well that's very sad and all that, but I don't see what it's got to do with us. And besides, why is why would God put this in his law? Why would God want to say that a man with leprosy is unclean? It's not his fault he's got leprosy. Why? Why would God be so unkind? Well, it's because God wants to teach his people something of utmost importance. God wants his people to understand that he is clean. God is clean and pure. At this point, we have a slight problem because our definition of cleanness is a kind of sliding scale. We have, a kind of, we have relative cleanness in our world. So if you drop food on the floor, how long is it before you can eat it? There you go, see? 10, 5, 37, who cares? It's relative, right? We all have our different standards. Some of us have high standards, three seconds. Some of us have low standards, 30 seconds, a minute, a day. It doesn't matter, I'll just find it, I'll eat it. We have different standards of cleanness. I go to a, the cupboard to get a shirt out. I say, is this shirt clean? I'm not saying, does this shirt meet some health and safety perfection standard? I'm saying, is it more clean than dirty? Is basically what I'm asking. I'm asking, is it acceptable? Will I go out in this shirt and my status be intact? Or will this damage my status by wearing it? If it's going to damage my status, I won't wear it. If it's going to enhance my status, then I'll wear it. This is how we think. When the Bible talks about clean and unclean, it's completely different. In the Bible, it is an absolute thing. Something is either clean or it is unclean. Clean means absolutely nothing to spoil it. No speck or tiny, minuscule bit of dirt. Nothing. As soon as there's one tiny bit of something, it becomes unclean. Now, that is God. And you may say, well, I don't know if I like that. Well, this is what God is like. And I want to tell you that that is good news. It's good news that God is clean. It's good news that there's nothing that spoils God. It's good news that God is perfect in every way. It's good news that God has never told a lie or thought a bad thought or done anything. It's good news that there's no dirt in God. It's beautiful, right? Cleanness is so beautiful. When you see something that is perfectly clean, it is deeply attractive and yet at the same time deeply terrifying if I go round to someone's house and they have perfect white carpets and perfect white sofas it terrifies me 
I don't walk in and go, oh, super. <laughs> I walk in and I'm like, ooh, ooh, uh, boys, <laughs> boys, this is bad. <laughs> We've got a real issue. <laughs> I love it when I go to someone's house that's a mess. Oh, boys, come in, it's like home. <laughs> no, sorry, not home, obviously. Uh, <laughs> And yet it's so attractive. And the God of the Bible is breathtakingly beautiful in his purity and his holiness. And yet there's something about that which is sort of terrifying to us because he's so perfect. And God says to his people, I want you to understand that uncleanness is a big deal. And so there were things that God marked out as unclean. Things mostly associated with death. That God says they are unclean for my presence. There were certain animals that were unclean. There was skin diseases that were unclean. There was mold and mildew that was unclean. Death was unclean. It was to be kept away from God. God was to be kept because as soon as something unclean comes in contact with something clean, the clean things become unclean. So how is God going to be clean if he doesn't set apart the things that are unclean? And so leprosy was a picture. A picture of uncleanness. But later on in Mark's Gospel, and you can check this for yourselves in Mark 7, Jesus went on to explain that actually leprosy is not the problem. True uncleanness is is to be found inside us. In fact, let's just look at it. Turn to Luke 7, uh, Mark 7. It's just important we see what Jesus is teaching us. Mark 7, verse 17. This is page uh, 1010, 1010. Mark 7, verse 17. After he left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Um, Are you so dull, Jesus said. Don't you see that nothing that enters a person from outside can defile them? It doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach, and then out of the body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. He went on, it's what comes out of a person that defiles them. For it's from within, out of a person's heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance and folly. All these evils come from inside and defile a person. And so as Jesus teaches his disciples, he says, you know this God who's perfectly clean... It's not just leprosy. It is a problem that all of us have. Who here in this room can read that list and say, yep, I'm clean? Seriously? And even if you've only been envious once in your life, you move from clean to unclean. That's just the way it works. Your status is unclean before God, which means you are outside, away from God's presence. That's your status. And I think we look at this man and we feel sorry for him and we say, oh, poor, poor man. But do we feel it about ourselves? That actually the plight of this man is, the, is what we deserve. We are not clean before God because we're not perfect. Okay, come back to the story. Have a look at verse 41. This man has come to Jesus. He's fallen on his face before Jesus. 
and he's begged him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. He's heard about Jesus. He's heard about the miracles that Jesus has been doing. And he thinks, perhaps this is my only chance. Look, he's taking a big risk because he's not supposed to be anywhere near. He's supposed to be outside. Get outside. And yet he dares to come near. There were crowds all around Jesus, yet he dares to come near. And look at Jesus' reaction, verse 41. Jesus was indignant. That's a strange phrase. There's a little bit of, um, if you're interested in this sort of stuff, there's a little bit of uncertainty about exactly what that word is, indignant. At the bottom, in the footnotes, it says, compassion. And so, you know, this is how you can trust that the Bible is an accurate translation. When when there are things they're not quite sure about, they tell you. They're not trying to hide anything. Is it, some of the early manuscripts say compassion, some say indignant. Well, actually, what it's telling us is that there is this response from Jesus. A response that is both compassion, but also a response that is deeply angry at what sin has done to our world. As he looks at this man, flat on his face, if you fall on your knees before someone, you're not looking at them. He's flat on his face before Jesus. And Jesus looks down and it moves him to see the situation this man's in. He doesn't go, whatever. He's moved by this man who's lost everything. The man is flat on his face. He has no idea what Jesus is going to say. And what is the next thing that happens? In fact, let me read you something. This was written by someone in church. I just want to read you a little bit of this. Picture this. Nothing had prepared me for what happened next. I could hardly believe my eyes as I saw him reach out his hand towards me. This man, this powerful man, was reaching out to touch me. To touch a man whose skin would make him ceremoniously unclean. And yet as he did so, there was not a shadow of hesitation on his face. I felt the toughened skin of a carpenter's hand touch my own broken skin. And I heard the words said in love, I am willing, be clean. And I felt everything within me change. What a moment. I mean, what what a moment. You have to understand that the only words this man has ever heard from a priest before are unclean. And yet here is a man who can make another pronouncement. Here is a man who can speak a better word. Here is a man who has the power to declare, be clean. And he touches the man. And this man, in that instant, this man's status was changed to clean. That was it. He was now clean. Now remember what I said about what clean means. That is a huge thing to say. Jesus says, be clean. And the man immediately was cleansed. This is what makes Jesus so different to any other religion. Some of you may have had all sorts of experiences in the past. 
You don't struggle to believe you're unclean. You feel your uncleanness. You feel your guilt. You feel like you don't, you almost feel like you don't really even deserve to be here today and yet for some reason you are. And every other time you tried going to church or tried some religion, all you've ever heard is, well, you're guilty. You're unclean. You're filthy. Try harder. And yet today, today you get to meet the man who says, no, I can make you clean. I'll give it to you. I will give you this status of clean. Jesus reaches out his hand, touches you and says, be clean. I can't imagine that this man had ever heard two more beautiful words in his life. Can you? Those two words reversed everything. All of his aloneness, all of his pain, all of his tears, those two words, everything changed. And I promise you that if you come to Jesus and say, Jesus, I know that I'm unclean, but I want you to do for me, for my heart, what you did to that leper's skin. I want you to do that for me. Even this afternoon, Jesus reaches out his hand, he touches you and he says, be clean. My precious child, be clean. And your status immediately transfers from being unclean to clean. He doesn't say you need to do a bit of stuff, you need to work hard, you need to do... He just says be clean. Such is the power of the word of Jesus that he can speak it and it happens. This man's status was completely changed. And perhaps you've carried a burden of guilt for many, many years. Perhaps, you, you, perhaps you've been following Jesus, you've been trusting him for a long time, but there's still a burden of guilt that you carry, uh, uh, things that you feel ashamed of. And Jesus says, hear me, listen to my words, believe what I'm saying, be clean. It's gone. It's dealt with. It's, it's, it's left you like the leprosy left that man. But there's one final thing I want to show you. And that is, oops, not that. That is that it was not cheap. See, it might be easy for us to read this story and go, oh, this is easy for Jesus. He just walks around going, be clean, be clean, be clean, be clean. Bish, bash, bosh, is it easy? No. There is something massive that happens at the end of this story. Have a look. Verse 43, Jesus sent him away at once with a strong warning. See that you don't tell this to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. What does Jesus say to this man? He says, listen, you need to go to the priest. What did the priest last told him? You're unclean. Right, go back to him now. Let him examine you again. Let him see now the cleanness of your skin. Let him see it. And then offer the sacrifices just like Moses told you to do. You see, in chapter 13 of Leviticus, we didn't read it, but there is a way, there are sacrifices for when someone is cleansed. My guess is this priest has never seen this before in his life. Up comes this leper, rocking up, going, I know, I'm clean. And the priest goes, uh, oh, 
uh, I don't know what to do. Let's get Leviticus 13 and check. Oh yes, there's some sacrifices we're supposed to do. Better do that. It's so extraordinary what this man has done. And Jesus sends the man back into the heart of society. He was alone outside in the lonely place. And Jesus says, go back. Go back to the place. You're now right with God. You're now acceptable to God. You can now be friends with God and you can be with your family and with your people. Go back. But it's interesting because the man doesn't. So verse 45, instead he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. He's disobedient to Jesus. He doesn't do what Jesus tells him to. He's foolish. And look at the impact on Jesus. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Do you see what's happened in this story? Do you see that they've switched places? Do you see that the leper who was in the lonely places alone, excluded from society, has been made clean and has been sent back? But Jesus, the one who was in society, was right with God, is the one who is now in lonely places, excluded. And here is this stunning picture of what it costs Jesus to make anyone clean. Jesus has to pay. Jesus switches places. Look, if if we have a game of football and our floor in our flat is filthy dirty, covered in mud, how do I make it clean? I get some water. What sort of water do I get? Clean water. This is basic cleansing stuff for those who are confused. This is useful life lessons I'm teaching you now. Learn well. I get some very clean water and I mop the floor and at the end, what has happened? The floor is now clean. But the dirt has not disappeared. The water is now filthy. That's how it works. And when Jesus came into this world to make unclean people clean, the way he did it was by becoming unclean himself. It's the only way for it to work. When Jesus reached out his hand to touch the man with leprosy, that made Jesus ceremonially unclean according to the law of Moses. And it's a picture of what he's going to do later on in Mark's Gospel when Jesus stretches out his hands on the cross and he becomes unclean. He is made sin. The uncleanness, all of my uncleanness is dumped on Jesus. And where does Jesus die? He dies outside. Outside camp outside, away, in the place of exclusion. And as he dies, he cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why has the door been slammed in my face? Because his status has now become unclean so that my status can now become clean so that now the door of heaven is open to me. Because Jesus took my uncleanness. And you just get a hint of it here that that's what it cost. And Jesus knew that as he stretched out his hand to touch the leper. Of course he did. He knew what he'd come to do. That's what it means to be a Christian. To be a Christian means to be someone who's been made clean by Jesus. 
Someone who says, I am filthy because of my, all that list of stuff we saw in Mark 7, my envy, my arrogance, my evil thoughts. I'm filthy. But Jesus, you, you took it all. And this afternoon he says, I'll do that for anyone who asks. Anyone who comes and says, Lord, please make me clean. Jesus says, yes. What's stopping you doing that this afternoon? What's stopping you from asking him right now? Jesus, make me clean. I'm tired of being anxious. I'm tired of feeling guilty. I'm tired of trying to impress everyone. I'm tired, Jesus. Please make me clean. I'm tired of feeling alone. I'm tired of all of that stuff. I'm tired of trying to impress. Jesus, make me clean. And he says, be clean. And when he says be clean, that means now the door of heaven stands open to you. The God of all purity and perfection is no longer terrifying to you, but is beautiful. And you run into his arms and you know him. And can I just say, if you are someone who's asked Jesus to make you clean, please believe he's done it. I think too many of us live with a massive sense of guilt. A massive sense of a burden that we still have to try and make ourselves clean. We're still trying to cover the spot. We're still trying to pretend it doesn't exist. We're still trying to make excuses. We're still trying to ignore it and go, it will go away. No, it won't go away. You confess it and you are made clean. And you have to believe him. You have to trust that you are clean. He loves you. He accepts you. No, and you say, but I'm too, I'm too dirty. No, no, you're not. That's why Jesus died. So that this afternoon you can run into the Father's arms and enjoy him forever. So this afternoon, here's Jesus. What a, what a king. He's the one who has the power to say, be clean. You don't have to be guilty anymore. Why don't we pray? I'm going to say a prayer and if if you this afternoon want to ask Jesus to make you clean, maybe that's something you've done lots of times before and you want to ask him again, Jesus, make me clean, confess your sin. Or perhaps for the very first time you want to ask him, you can just echo the words um, I'm going to say. Uh, this is what I'm going to say. Uh, Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the uncleanness in my heart. Thank you that you have power to make me clean. Please make me clean. If you want to pray that this afternoon, that would be a terrific thing. Let's bow our heads and let's pray. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for the uncleanness in my heart. Thank you that you have the power to make me clean. Please make me clean. Amen. From that day on, that man's life was changed. And if we pray that prayer, our lives are changed. God now says you're clean. <laughs> it's an awesome thing.